This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? Good, man. Good. Great, Jim. So I guess we should do our introductions before we get started so everybody knows who we are. Uh, Jim Durkin here with uh, HQ contributors Omar and Evan. How you guys uh, hanging? Great. Hey, we've both been on the podcast before, right? Omar, you've been on. Yeah, yeah a few times. Perfect. Yeah, Omar, the, the most recent episode with uh, Wolf Precision, I, I really enjoyed that episode. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, we got pretty deep on the uh, old rifle building and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. That guy's a, that guy, Jamie. He's a he's a wealth of knowledge. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's about two hours away from me. I I'd love to make it up there and check out his facility. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. I I'd, I'd like to go out there one day and take one of his classes if I could. It's just a long ways for me. Yeah, and you have so many out your way. Yeah, options. So, did you end up getting a, a rifle from him? Yeah, it's still in progress. Uh, it's still being built, but yeah. What um what did you end up getting? Like what caliber? It's a seven PRC, that new uh, that new seven millimeter mag that Hornady um, made. But it's uh it's on a bat vampire action. It's in a chassis, which I mean, I go back and forth on hunting with. I love to shoot with chassis, but yeah. I, Hunting with chassis is a different story, so I'll probably, I'll probably have a stock and a chassis depending on the weather and the hunt. I, I'll switch back and forth, but yeah. And then I, I um, I got the Night Force scope sitting back here in my closet, waiting to go on it. Oh, nice! So you're going real yeah. high end. Yeah, man. This is kind of just what I spend my money on. So nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So do you have you ever shot a seven PRC? No, no, they're pretty new. I mean, they, I mean, they really started hitting the market last year, but uh, beginning of last year when they first came out, I believe. Um, I mean, people heard word of them in 2022, but um, some custom guys built some, but uh, factory stuff. And they really just, they haven't, they got a lot of traction, but I haven't had one in hand. But comparatively to like a, I shoot a lot of other seven millimeters and it's pretty much on par with the seven regular old seven rem mag. Um, yeah, it actually takes like it, it, the case capacity is a little bit less. So if you're looking at it purely from like a, a ballistic standpoint, a seven an old seven mag has more ability than a seven PRC. But the reason that I was attracted to it is because I reload and I I just don't like belted cases anymore. Like I first you know first the first seven millimeter step was a seven mag and then i got a 280 ackley and 280 ackley doesn't have a belt and uh then now i'm going to seven prc so do you already have the stuff to reload it do you already have oh yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 i knew you would <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah i just uh got bullets primers brass um i just bought a, a new die from short action customs which is a they, they make a lot of really good stuff Evan, what are you shooting? Uh, I usually shoot a 300 win mag. Uh, it just like it's simple for me, and I I mostly hunt just around here in Minnesota. So it's like 
uh, when I'm hunting whitetails with that, I know, you know, they're going down. It's just great. And I am, uh, I need all the help I can get. So uh, that, that just nice and flat shooting for me. And I just, that's what I use. Um, so it's the Lord's the, caliber, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And, uh, and I'm a big guy, you know, and so it, it doesn't, I don't mind recoil much. So it's just, it's just fine. Uh, but then down here we have, you know, we have a slug zone and a rifle zone. I have both. Um, so yeah, everybody has those, you know, savage two twenties now, um, and, and, uh, uh, 20 gauge, but then I've got the big old, uh, those, uh, are, the, old, those are the bolt action, the savage bolt actions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those are, yeah, those are cool. They are, they're neat. And they, they're real picky on ammo, but when you find the right one, uh, they'll, they'll drill a hole real nice. Um, but the one that I use a lot is actually the old H and R ultra slug. You guys ever interact with those? It's a break action, real simple, uh, uh, like an H and R. Is yeah, that like the shot. handy rifle? Exactly. Same people. Yeah. Yep. I think, well, somebody's going to call me out on that, but I think it's the same people, but yeah. And then you, you just, it's just real simple, real accurate. And I haven't, I, every year I like just check the sight on it, you know, and I, I never have to adjust the scope. It's always just dead on every year. So that's the other one, but no one really cares about, you know, shotgun calibers. It's all about the <laughs> rifles. If you could find one that's accurate, man, they do some damage. Deer don't usually go very far when you hit them with a slug. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've got a buddy that strictly hunts with a slug gun. Yeah. 20 gauge. Yep. Yeah, I, I I have a 300 Win Mag still in the box that I haven't even shot yet. I'm I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I have a 280 Ackley that I, this is the most accurate rifle I've ever owned, and what it wasn't. It? What's that? Well, who makes it? It's a Kimber. Oh, okay. And um, it's their basically their cheapest model. I think it's a seven or eight hundred dollar gun. But my God, does it make me look like I know what I'm doing? That's nice. <laughs> and it, it just, there's no uh, brand of ammunition that I put through it that it doesn't like. Yeah. That's awesome. You got one of the good ones. Yeah. I, I took it to a range with my buddy who reloads for, for me. And he's the one who turned me on to the Ackley. And um, after seeing me shoot it and, Knowing how um, <laughs> how how I sh normally shoot, and then seeing what the rifle did, he looked at me and said, "If you ever sell this rifle, I will buy it." <laughs> so yeah, one of the good ones. But but the Ackley is such a awesome round. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it. It's just the best of both worlds. Like you know, you got it's not even a, you know it's not even really a Magnum. I mean, it's on the standard bolt, and it just has the same. It's almost the same ballistics as a, as a seven mag. It's just have you have been a hard, having a hard time finding factory ammo for it? Or yes, yes, I have. I've been seeing it on the shelves, but um, I don't know. I guess it depends on where you are. You know, it's starting to come back uh, more now a little bit than it has been over the last couple years. But I ended up buying about a hundred rounds of the um, Nosler E tip. Mm -hmm. And it shoots really well out of the gun, and um, it moves pretty good. So over three thousand feet. Have you killed anything with those? Yes, I shot an antelope in Colorado with it, and it took three steps and hit the dirt. So you like the uh, copper? 
I do. And for that 300 win, I, um, I stocked up. I haven't shot it yet, but I stocked up on some Barnes Copper. Mm. So I don't know. Or what, what do you guys, you guys like copper or what's your preference? In my, in my 12 gauge, uh, I use the, the federal tool trophy copper and I don't, it's, it's not a requirement at all. You know, I just like it because it, man, I've just had really good success with that where it, it, it holds together real well. And it just, nothing moves after, after you hit it at that, at that range, you know, um, I, I think that if I were going out further, you know, maybe I might be a little bit, uh, make a different choice, but if like slug, slug ranges, it's phenomenal, man. I, I seek it out and it shoots nice out of my gun too. You know, it, it's kind of picky, but yeah. What about for your 300, your three, 301 mag? No, I, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I shoot a, a standard. Uh, um, I like the, uh, that terminal ascent stuff is because oh, okay. that, so that gun's like, that's bonded. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a really good bullet, but, um, I don't know, I guess for me, it's because I've been forced, I've been forced to use mm-hmm. non-lead. Now I'm I'm delving into just regular cup and core lead bullets because I mean I don't know there's there's it's just there's different sizes to each table but um, it seems like lead does have better terminal ballistics than than mono cores and especially the distance thing like you mentioned Evan I mean if you if you're going past 300 yards 300 yards and in any bullet's gonna work yeah you know? yeah. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I still like to develop a, a lead load and a copper load for, for my rifles. So I'll have one of each just, just in case, but, um, definitely on like the shorter range stuff, like my 4570, that that's all copper. I like those barns, 300 grain barns, TSX. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you, do you guys ever think about the whole ingesting lead thing? Nope. The only thing that I like about the, the difference is that I feel like those copper bullets, like they hold together better no matter what you hit. And oh, for so sure. like I I don't worry about like uh I don't worry about like, oh, I, I might get some lead or whatever, but I worry about like sometimes when those bullets really start moving in, inside of the animal, yeah, mm-hmm. you might lose you might lose some uh some meat. And I feel like I, I just don't get that as much with the copper. It's like where I put that, that's where the hole goes and and then yeah. I'm, I'm good to go, you know. So I, yeah, I like that sure. part of it. At longer distance, you, you, I guess the thought process is the copper, you might lose some expansion, right? Yeah, you might pencil, you'll pencil through. You're not going to have as much internal damage yeah. for sure. Yeah. I don't have the capability of shooting that far to worry about it, honestly. I, I think if same. you if you analyze most shooters' capabilities, they're they're probably in that same boat. Yeah. Um, but that's funny you said that terminal ascent ammo. When I talked to, I did that interview with Joseph on Benedict, who's that outdoor gun writer. He's just a plethora of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if it was on the episode or actually when we stopped recording. And I talked to him. I said, what do you, because he's a 280 Ackley guy. And uh, yeah. I asked him, I said, what do you, what do you recommend for factory ammunition? He said, if you want a good all around, he said the 155 280 Ackley terminal ascent federal, but you cannot find that ammunition anywhere. No, it's really hard to find any any thermal ascent. Like, I would love to use those as just components and and start loading them, just try them out. But it's hard to find them, even as a component. Right. I this is something weird, but I think is with the the theme of the podcast tonight. I feel like here in Minnesota, 
we have less of a shortage than you guys do otherwise because I can I can go in and just buy terminal ascent like anywhere you know and and it's it's like I mean not in like uh, uh, some of the the less common calibers but like you know 308 30 odd six uh, or not 30 odd six 308 and 300 win mag like everywhere I can just go pick it up you know. And all, I don't all your buddies right now are saying to you, shut up. Don't tell uh, them that. I know. I don't, well, it's but like, okay, come to Minnesota, <laughs> spend money here, I guess. But like, you'd have to actually go to the, go to the store, you know? Um, yeah. But like, I don't know why that is like with supply chains and all that. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe it's the, uh, maybe there's not a lot of people shooting um, in Minnesota anymore. Could be. True. Yeah. Having said that, we should probably tell everybody what we're what we're talking about Sorry, so we're we're, we're we're tying this all in we're talking about federal terminal ascent ammunition the cost of ammunition the availability and uh so that's what we're we're here to talk about have we been duped by the uh, ammo manufacturers to to pay more so terminal uh ascent is made by federal and federal ammunition is part of the vista group yeah. and the vista group just sold to a Czechoslovakian company for $1.9 billion. So I'm assuming you guys have all heard and read that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for the, the, the shoe to drop. I'm not sure how exactly that's going to affect us yet. It kind of sucks, man, because like if I'm using federal or CTI primers, which are owned by the Vista Group, and then they aren't available to us anymore, that means everything's got to change for me. Yeah. And it goes for a lot of, they own several companies. Mm -hmm. So don't they own Savage too? I'm not sure. I think they do. Um, it says they own Remington, Alliant Powder, CCI, Federal. Is it Sevy Shot? Is that how you say that? Sevy Shot? Don't know. And Spear, Spear Bullets, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they had a, like an article in Newsweek. Basically, just saying that the company was sold and we're raising our prices because of the Ukraine war and all the stuff going on overseas. Do you know if like federal and CCI are making their ML and primers in America? Is, is, there, is it not made in America? It is. Yeah, there's, there's a huge plant in Minnesota. Yeah, it, it actually okay. says that they're in Minnesota. Yep. So have you gotten any word that it's going to impact Minnesotans? Is that how you say Minnesotans? Minnesotans, yeah. Minnesotans. No, I, I actually just talked to someone uh, who's a, a manager there today uh, who I went hunting with this year. Um, and I don't, I don't think that there's any imminent plans to move things overseas. I think what, what the difference is, is just like uh, organizational priorities, right? Like a Czech company is going to be much more tuned in oh, to to making deals with you know the ukrainian army or whoever else needs it um but i i think that the production capacity they need as much as they can get from what i understood like they're they're not looking to shut down anything like they're they're wanting to retool all the remington stuff uh they want to um they want to get things moving they don't want to they don't want to shut things down so you're saying we're not sportsmen and shooters will not be the priority the priority will be the war. I don't know that. I mean, what I, my feeling, and this guy didn't say that, but, but I'll, what he said is that they want to have as much production capacity as they can, but just like, it would make sense that a Czech 
owned company would would have more of an interest in, you know, supporting mm-hmm. uh, Ukraine, especially with the current government in, in Czechoslovakia, but um, or the Czech Republic. But like, I don't. I think that like overall, like there, this isn't going to last forever, right? So like, they're not going to just be a military contractor in the future. They're going to have to pivot back to to you know recreational shooters and, and, and sportsmen at some point. But I think temporarily it might get pretty rough. And I mean, I wonder if all the checks and balances and quality control will remain the same, or are they going to bring... I mean, it's God, probably I hope just, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it should just be new ownership way at the top. It shouldn't trickle down to the quality control. I mean, at least in my eyes, I don't think it would. Correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't there some issues with Remington primers? Yes, I had yeah. three... Last season, this the, the season before this one, I had three uh, failure to fires with uh, Remington Aki slugs, and I was like, "What's going on?" I looked it up, and apparently, like Remington just did not invest any money in their production capacity. Like everything was out of whack; it was all messed up until Federal bought it, and now Federal's try or Vista, whatever this corporate structure is, who knows? Vista um, doors. Yeah, right. And whoever that is is like trying to get everything up to speed now, make everything work again. But they're doing that like, well, they're still producing, you know? So it's like you're building the plane while it's flying. Um, but yeah, it was. I experienced that myself. Three uh, failures to fire and just nothing, you know? Um, and I thought my gun was messed up and then I looked it up and got, I was still kicking myself for that. It was, it was a terrible experience. It sucks, especially if you're on an animal, you know? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, you were damn. <laughs> Absolutely. Remington Remington hasn't had very good anything for a while. It's it's been a while. They, they, I mean, they went ever since they went bankrupt. You know, they, they've been struggling. Man, and I know it breaks my heart too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just like the the name is worth some, right? And and they're just milking. It used it for, to be. Yeah. Well, and that's what it was for a while until until it was purchased. Now, now it's different, right? And people are investing yeah. in it again, but. They bought it for the name, and then they just wanted to milk it without investing anything. In right. It. Yeah. Yeah. And then it all just falls apart. You know. Do you remember the uh, Remington seven hundred trigger issues? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was a big, uh, like, nail in the coffin for him. That was bad. Yeah. yeah. I have a f- I have a few uh, Remingtons that I won't part with now because of you just don't know what if they may go away altogether. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have a, uh, it's funny that we're talking about the whole bankruptcy and the Remington thing because it kind of happened. I don't know if Marlin went bankrupt, but there was a period in time where there was some Remlins. You guys know what that is? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's what I have. I have a Remlin. My, my, uh, Mark 1895, uh, 4570 is a Remlin. And, you know, oh. people, a lot of people talk crap about them, but, um, I must have got one of the good ones because it's been shooting great and no problems at all. But um, now, Ruger took over uh, Marlin, and I heard those new uh, Ruger Marlins are like the the bee's knees. Yeah, really. I, yeah, they're expensive though. I mean, for a lever gun, I mean, I think they're around fifteen hundred bucks or something. So that's yeah, getting up there. And that forty five seventy is going to beat you up, man. Oh, dude, I still love it, but it hurts. yeah. <laughs> as a as a fellow forty five seventy fan, that is I, that's my like uh, uh, dream gun is is that Marlin uh, the new one? Yeah, the lever action. Oh man, and it, like a stainless or something like. I mean, they're just yeah, they're, they're pretty. Yeah, they're, they're badass. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I want one bad, but 
Yeah. I'm going to, um, now that I'm, I'm no longer, now that I'm moving to a free state, I'm going to thread and put a suppressor on mine. Nice. So that should take away some of that massive mule kick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My buddy had a Marlin years ago and, uh, I don't, he obviously, I don't think they ever came with a, with a, uh, muzzle brake factory, but he had one on there and it was a pleasure to shoot. Mm-hmm. Without the, with the muzzle brake, I mean, with the muzzle brake on it. Yeah. Not without mm-hmm. it. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, a brake on your, uh, on your 300 Win Mac? I do. Yep. Yep. I, I, I originally I had, um, the, the one from Savage where you could turn it on and off. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and then I don't really know why that exists to be honest with you. So then I just put a, a regular not. one on it. Yeah, that's yeah. not a really good design. Yeah. No, I I ended up putting a carbon fiber barrel on it just just because I wanted to lighten it up a little bit, and then I just yeah. got a new muzzle brake for it. So how's that barrel shooting? Real good, nice, really cool. nice. And yeah. what's the reduction of the the uh, recoil with or without? What do you think? Half? Yeah, I, it feels like it. You know, I I haven't like tested it or anything, but it it really changes it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's been a while since I. Shot a 300. Are you shooting brake, Jim? It mine has a, a brake on it, yeah. On all your on your 300 or the or the uh Ackley too. Just just the 300. Okay, so you're just taking all the recoil on the Ackley? Yeah, yeah, the Ackley's I, I think it's less than a 308. I mean, it might be like a 308 because the rifle's a light rifle, but yeah. um yeah, it shoots like I'm an odd 6 guy personally. I have mm-hmm few odd sixes that's my favorite caliber all-around caliber mm-hmm. um and i have like a an old winchester that was my first rifle that kicks like a bear and then i have a montana rifle that shoots it's like it's like you're shooting a different caliber mm. same same ammunition but just the feel and the 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 stock and the butt plate it's just it feels like you're shooting a different caliber it's probably the weight, the weight too. Yep. Yeah, the Ackley, I would say it's definitely less than my Aunt Six and probably similar to 308, a little less than a 308. Yeah, I shot I shoot mine without a break, but I I put one on there because I just I don't know. I like to be able to spot my shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I put a break or a suppressor on everything. Yeah. Know? Yeah, with a 300, you almost have to have one. I mean Oh, for sure. Yeah. You could do it without it, but I mean, you're not going to see if you hit anything or not. Yeah, I had a 338 Win Mag, and and that thing, I I, I was never able to do anything with it. I mean, mm-hmm. it just beat the living snot out of me. H- hitting hitting a a pie plate at 100 yards, I'm like, man, this is this is the best I'm going to get. Yeah, uh, it would beat me up. I'd flinch. I'd you know pull the trigger. I mean, it was awful. Yeah, it's like when you know that when you know that a uh, big hammer's coming, you're gonna subconsciously flinch. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. The thing that gets me uh, about the the brakes, especially on the, on the 300, is like you. I have to have hearing protection when I'm doing it, like yeah. like uh, some kind of you know. And so I run, I run my my 300 wind mag. I run with a, a brake, and I I have like the whatever they are walkers here, like hearing protection stuff. Um, but then my 4570 is a brake action. I run it without uh, a brake. And that, like, just that difference, I, I feel like I 
I probably should still have hearing protection, but I don't, I don't always like feel like I need it with that, you know? Um, and I don't know, sometimes that, like that requirement when you're, when you're out doing something is nice to not have, you know, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would buy those ones that you, they're the orange ones. They're hard plastic and you could just wrap them around your neck and then just put them into your ears before you shoot. If you're out in the field versus the ones that you have to, you know, the foam ones, but I do have Walker game ears as well. But anyway, let's get back to the prices of these, uh, these, this ammunition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 4570 is a perfect example of that, right? Like, um, I, I don't, I don't understand why, honestly, entirely, like the the differences in calibers and why they're there. I mean, some of them are more common than others or whatever, but it feels like 4570 has just gone up so much that like, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to, you know, justify putting a lot of range time in with it, you know, and it just, yeah, it sucks. I think that has to do with you- production production runs, and because yeah. it's not like a, a four fifty eight rifle bullet isn't that common, you know. Right, and, right. And neither is the brass. I mean, so they're making more money off of something like a thirty cal bullet, where they can mass produce it and put it into ten different cartridges. Right. You know? so right. It is. It's crazy, man. I don't even know how much a, a one round of forty five seventy would be. Probably three four dollars. Yeah, right. Which is why, why you know, like I really want you to reload some for me because uh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. And and then it's like you know, I feel like when they're it's so expensive and then there's less offerings for it. It's like, um, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Whereas if you're not reloading, like you've only got a few things to choose from, which is less than before. That's for sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you feel like the manufacturers are obviously they didn't create COVID, they didn't create shortages, but do you feel like they're being fully honest with us? No. Because I feel like they're no. sitting back and they're not too sad that all this shit is going on. No, they found out that people will pay those exorbitant prices and then they kept it yeah. at the exorbitant prices because Agreed. I mean, if you an example would be like primers, I, I've been reloading since before the pandemic, and primers, a thousand box, a thousand count brick is was thirty five dollars. Now it's anywhere from a hundred to one hundred and thirty five dollars. So yeah, even if you try to factor in all the the, I don't know, inflation and cost of labor and material, that's still, I mean, four x. I don't think that the inflation was that bad to get to a four X, you know? Right. I honestly, I feel like they learned it from the gun industry, right? Like, I think it's pretty clear at this point that the gun industry is very good at, but you know, making profits off of panics and, and they've kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, and, and panic buying, I should say they, I yeah. feel yeah. a lot of the time they're, they, they can realize that if they can create a, a panic buy through some means uh, or just ride one that's created, you know, through online forums or whatever. Um, they can both have high volume and high prices. And that's great, you know, because if they can cut back on on um, their inputs and, and, you know, maybe lay off some people or whatever, or, or not invest in, in lines or whatever it might be uh, and make less 
product and make more money, you know, it feels like they're 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 getting real good at that. Um, and I think that that is a little bit unique to the gun industry and the ammo industry. It feels like, uh, which I know sounds conspiratorial, but it it does it does seem to sort of like follow those trends, you know. And it doesn't consumer behavior doesn't help, right? Like like if everybody's going and they're I remember the twenty two shortage, uh, you know, where everyone was going in there buying twenty boxes of twenty two, you know, every time whatever yeah. the max was, and and it was just ridiculous. But um, I feel like they've learned how to ride those waves, and in a way that other industries haven't as well. Um, and I think that's causing issues. Are you guys familiar with uh, backfire? Yeah, I'm not a fan. No, no. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not familiar. I try to get him to come on this episode. Oh, really? Yeah, he declined. Why did he decline? He said scheduling. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Maybe we're not a big enough name for him. Yeah. <laughs> he did a, and I could, I tried to find it, but he did a, a, a video that outlined specific um, tragedies. Mm. So. There was a school shooting, mm-hmm. and then prices jumped from X to Y. Then there was a Democrat in office. Prices jumped from, you know, X to Y again. And each time there was a jump, and I don't know what his numbers were because I couldn't find the video. He has a, so many videos. I couldn't find it. So let's just say for the sake of arguing that prices would jump 10% when, there was, when something happened. Then after it leveled off, it would come down 7%, but then there was a 3% increase that stayed. And then each time it would do that, make that 10% jump, come down seven. But after a few times, you're up like an average of six, nine, 12% each time that happened. And and don't quote me on those numbers because I just made them up because I don't remember what the numbers were. But it was it was pretty neat to see how he he tracked the average cost of ammunition, what it did when something happened, and then how it came down but stayed up. It's crazy, but I think the gun manufacturers and the ammo manufacturers also had their spreadsheets and were like, we could probably get away with it. Yeah, but have have you guys noticed that anything's balanced out not maybe it maybe it hasn't got all the way back to pre-pandemic crisis but went they went way up skyrocketed and went like you're saying uh jim and then it went back down a little bit maybe not the full 10 percent, maybe the seven percent back down to normal have you noticed that i have noticed that i have noticed availability on stuff on everything that, this, this on everything but primers it, that's yeah. yeah i mean the primers are still exorbitant like crazy prices like i wonder why that's sticking to that crazy price yeah there's there seems to be no rhyme or reason i was gonna say this this episode's probably like would be would have been better a year ago to do it Mm. but because prices were at their peak i think yeah still they're not down i mean that's i think that's the whole thing is that like we're we all see that there's going to be another wave coming with every everything that's been said, you know, in terms of of supplying, yeah. you know, different people, military, et cetera. Um, and there, there's even been things published about, like, I mean, federal put out that that you know statement that it's ammo, ammo prices are going to rise, right? Yeah. Um, but even without that, like, we feel 
like, oh, prices are back down or prices have decreased, but they're not back to where they were. That's for sure. You know, and, and they're higher. The inflation in ammo is definitely higher than like the average consumer price index or whatever that might be, you know? Um, and that it just keeps, it just keeps squeezing a little bit more and a little bit more. And so even though it feels better than it did in, you know, 2021, it's still not, it still would be high prices compared to what you would expect in like 2018. Right. And so even adjusted for inflation. And so like that, it seems like the perfect time to talk about it. Cause it's like, it's, it's like the, the freight trains come and it's going to get worse, but it hasn't gotten better, you know? And I don't, I don't know why that is exactly where it just, as a inflation adjusted number, it keeps going up, you know? And what's the reason for that? Yeah. You know? And like, I think Omar, you said it, they figured it out that people are willing to pay for it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we all need to make a stand and stop paying these crazy prices. Honestly, and, and I'll be full, full disclosure. My preference is nozzler ammunition. I mean, I've, I've shot partitions and acubons for 20 years and every animal that I connected with has never walked out of my sight with either a partition or an acubon, mm -hmm. but they are so outrageously overpriced. I'm sick of it. That's why I'm, that's why I loaded up on, on barns for that 300. Yeah. Yeah. And even just recently, my buddy that reloads said, Hey, uh, Midway has 284 bullets in the Acubon. Why don't you get some and we'll reload them? Because mm -hmm. they may be gone. A, they weren't gone. And there's, I just checked today. They're still there a week and a half later. So that tells me that people aren't in desperate buying mode. Yeah. But then when I went to look at them, they're $1.14 a bullet. Yeah, I, I've I've noticed that that Nosler's Nosler's bullet prices are really high. It's crazy, but um, any bonded bullet is going to be more expensive, and yeah. any any pure monocore like a, a popper, those are going to be more expensive too. But comparatively to the others, they they are pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah. I bought before the pandemic. I bought. I don't know five or six boxes of 30 out six um 165 acubons they were 34.95 for a uh 20 pack and with and they came with a five dollar rebate for a 20 pack so yeah, yeah that's that's a good that's a good price <laughs> i mean now i would buy a thousand rounds of them if yeah. I, I could add that price right. And that was just in 2019. Now they're they're 55, 56, 57. Mm -hmm. If you if you could find them, now you you can't find them. But um, but yeah, because of that, I think. I mean, I was part of the Nosler Army, but I just won't do it anymore. Yeah. And I I have to defer to you guys as far as the factory ammo goes, because I haven't bought factory ammo in so many years. But, okay. um. From a reloader's perspective, I think it's the powder went way up, like over sixty dollars a pound, and now it's back down to forty-five. You can get get them on sale, maybe forty, fifty for the for the really good stuff. So it went it evened out a little bit because that's pre-pandemic. It was around the forties. It was never really lower than that. Um, brass has went up, 
and stayed up. And primers has went way up and stayed way up. It's never went back. Yeah. So I don't know how, I mean, I do know how much, you know, shotgun shells are and stuff. Cause that's the only thing I, I buy. But I mean, I remember when I was a kid, a, a box of steel shot was 10 bucks. Now right. it's minimum, minimum 20, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes even a lot more. Yeah. And, and yeah, 20, that, 20 is like the Winchester expert and the federal blue yeah. box, but yeah. And, and some of that is, I mean, like inflation is a thing like overall, right? So like prices will go up, but this is going up way more than, than everything else. Right. And that's, that's the thing is, is it's these shocks of the system. They never settle back out. Like you're saying. And, and I, I know like, when you're talking about uh, earlier, you, you were saying, um, you know, we got to start a boycott or something. I mean, yeah. my own personal, like, like shooting, um, I used to have a membership to a range and I shot a ton, you know, um, and, uh, and prices were cheap and I was out there doing it. And now I have a range in my backyard that I set up. I, you know, I bought a property. I've got a range in my backyard. I just got to walk you know, 50 yards out there. And I shoot less than I did when I had to drive, you know, 20 miles because, you know, things are expensive. And, and I, yeah, it's, it's just not the same, you know? And, and I feel like that eventually is, is those like consumer uh, changes um, will eventually have to affect this somehow, but it's, it's going to be a lot of people choosing to shoot less to do it. And every year there's more shooters, right? There's more shooters, which yeah. then even if I shoot less and everybody else I know shoots less, if there's 10 more shooters, there's more ammo being sold. So it's like, it's like, there's no downward pressure, you know? Yeah. It just means that I can't shoot as much, which makes me so mad, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. And I hope that doesn't transfer like into poor marksmanship, you know? Not not like on your part, Evan, but I'm saying in general, you know, people, because a lot of people buy into the whole, I mean, this is a different topic, but it's semi-related is the, 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 the shooting, the long range stuff, but they'd never put into practice. And if, and if that ties into the whole inflation and not being able to shoot as much, then that, that's going to be poor, poor marksmanship in the field. I couldn't when, agree with you more. I'm, I, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big problem because like. I had the privilege of shooting a lot and like, okay, so then I learned the fundamentals. I was able to do it. And, and if, if I were just shooting as much as I do now, now I'm in maintenance mode, right? Like I've, I've learned the fundamentals. I've shot far. I've shot close. I've done all these different things. Now I'm in maintenance mode. I'm just making sure that I've got enough trigger time to, to, to keep up with my skills. I worry about people coming up now and, and when 300 wind mag is $50 a box for target ammo, like, are they going to have enough trigger time to be able to do it? And then these these folks on social media that are glamorizing taking 700-yard shots uh, or mm-hmm. longer than that, um, I think that's a recipe for for disaster because people look at it, they go on the forums and they, and they, and they look at the people on YouTube and they say, well, you know, I can, these guys are shooting 700, 800,000-yard yards, whatever it is, like, I should be able to do that too, but then they don't have the trigger time behind it to make that even somewhat feasible, that's a recipe for a lot of wounded animals and a lot of problems. Yep. 100%. Good point. Yeah, good point. And like you said, you're in a maintenance program. I think everybody has had to change their shooting habits. I don't shoot 
as nearly as much as I did prior to the pandemic and these in this price increase. And I'm certainly the stuff that I do have that I don't feel like searching for again or paying an arm and a leg for, I'm holding on to like the Nosler E tips for my 280 Ackley. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be like when I was a, a, a teenager and two days before rifle season, deer season, you'd go and, and you'd shoot at the range. And if you could hit, you were good. Yeah. yeah. I'm not advocating no, that, no. but I'm just saying I mean, everybody, everybody remembers those days. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a different, a different, uh, day and age in, in shooting and, and buying habits. Did you see the, uh, article that Jim Harmon, Oh yeah, Harmer put together. Which one? With those prices. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a spreadsheet of the average cost. It it's a spreadsheet that lists all the calibers and the average cost prior to the pandemic and then the average cost in 2022 this was done. And then um the percent increase. Pretty neat to look at. And what struck me from this is that there's no rhyme or reason for these price increases. Like, for example, you got more brass, more powder, and a larger bullet in a 300 win mag. But 280 Ackley is more expensive. I think, I don't know, man. I I, I don't really have a good explanation for it, but it would be because it's a rare cartridge. The The only thing that's different though is the brass i mean brass and powder you're going to use a different powder in a 280 than you are in a 301 mag most of the time so i mean because the other the 284 bullet is going to go in a lot of other cartridges so that's not that's not something else but the brass production yeah brass production run and maybe the powder availability it's got to do with money you know it's got to do with they look at their books and they they know they're selling a lot more 300 Win Mag than they are 280 Ackley. So, well, and and the, if you look at this chart according to this list, the Creedmoor has gone up 97 percent from pre to post pandemic. Well, then I take back everything I just said because that's like the most popular cartridge in America. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're they're capitalizing on it, but I do think there's some. I think you're. I think you're. I think you're right. And I think this example is also indicative of their capitalizing on the popularity of it. And they know people are shooting it and they can get away with jacking up the price. But I do think everything you said, Omar, was applicable as well. Yeah, I just I'm just not I'm failing to see why a 280 would be more expensive than than whatever else. Besides, it's just not that big of a moneymaker for them. It's like a, a niche caliber too. Yeah. Sort of. I'm just you know what I'm trying to say? I, I just don't know why um like a six five would be the percentage of, of of inflation would be so much higher for one and not the other. Why wouldn't it be the same across the board? I I totally agree. Yeah. The two eighty has gone up fifty eight percent. The Creedmoor has gone up ninety seven percent. The thirty odd six, thirty eight percent. The Winchester 300 Winchester Magnum, only 22%. So what about like the NATO calibers? Like let's, let's say just 308 and 556 or 223. What's the percentages on those? 
308 is if you're going by this list, mm -hmm. 308 is the caliber to shoot. It has only gone up 11%. Hmm. And that's confusing to me because that's that's something that should be in high demand with everything going on, you know? Right. Right. Ukraine when was this uh when was that spreadsheet created? This was updated November 17th, 2022. So this is 14 months old. That's after, uh, no, that's before Ukraine. Ukraine was February or March 23. Yeah. 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 So, so I'd be curious. I'd be curious what the, what the numbers, how that affected the numbers. Me too. And, and there's these different pressures, right? Like, like there's, there's in terms of why inflation happens, there are times when companies just choose to to increase prices for their own internal reasons. But then there's also external factors, right? Like the traditional way to think about it is just supply and demand, right? And so if there's more 6.5 Creedmore shooters and they're not able to supply as much, then it would make sense that that maybe like the the uh, supply goes up, the demand remains the same and the, the price goes up, right? And then... The other way to think about it is is like there's this new kind of thought of the supply chain theory of inflation, which is that people don't want to raise their prices until they have to, to maintain the same profit margins because they can't get what they need to make the product because there's a supply chain issue and they, they can't make as many, you know, 308s. And so then to make the same amount of profit, they have to raise their prices or they have to lay people off, whatever, right? So those are the two kind of like, competing theories of pressure, right? And if we think about that, like demand for 6.5 Creedmoor, I, that makes sense to me. Like it was an internet fad and everybody and their mother thought this yeah. was going to be great. So like, all right, they they needed to, to increase their, their production. And um, the thing is, is that in this industry- and it, is, it, is a, it is a good cartridge, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I, I I'm not a hater on the on the on the. I know. Yeah. Uh, everybody is. You know. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk crap about it. The, what do they call the man bun? The the man yeah, bun cartridge. Six five man bun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, I I think that like maybe maybe that demand you know does it. And the other thing that I think about with this is um, that they can't stop. They can't just cut. Uh, entirely a cartridge, right? Like like in other in other areas and other parts of the economy like if you have something that's not performing well it's not, if you're a sandwich maker and the pork sandwich sells worse than the roast beef sandwich you could just say well i'm not going to make the pork sandwich anymore right but in the ammo industry you got to keep some of it going because you've got people who still shoot that right so you you gotta they, they can't just completely divert to the market um uh needs they have to keep moving with these things like they're still people making, you know, 303 British or, you know, 76254R yeah. or whatever, like all these little boutique, like foreign calibers, and they can't get completely away from it. So some of their production capacity has to go to that. So I get all that. Like, there are reasons for this that you could see from a macroeconomic perspective that things would be different. But I still think there's also something at play where there is a strategy to induce or to ride on panic buying to then not lower your prices all the way down to where they were in the beginning, right? It's it's both of those things together. It's these macroeconomic forces, which are not good for us, and this, this strategy of, of 
not of, of ramping up the, the price when there's some sort of reason for it and then not ramping it all the way back down that just compiles to make this this um big change which then unfortunately like affects a lot of people like it affects people's lifestyles it affects people's ab- ability to to practice and to have their their kids practice and to shoot shoot uh when they're hunting well it, it affects people when um you know they're they're getting into shooting sports all those type of things like it's it's not a victimless crime but it it just keeps going up and up and up yeah great point i'd like to see the numbers on if it if it has actually reduced you know involvement in shooting sports and i mean just marksmanship you know because it, it i mean to me I'm like, I'm not super involved in the competitive shooting or anything. I'm 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 tuned into it a little bit though, and it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's it's stopping or going anywhere. Um, if anything, it seems like more people are getting into it. So. I agree with that. I I think I think like social media and different things are are driving people towards it, which then of course also increases inflation, right? Because if you if you got one person buying a hundred rounds or ten guys buying twenty rounds, the ten guys buying twenty rounds make them more money, right? But the, I think that what it does is it doesn't allow people with less means to become proficient yeah. marksmen. That's, or marksmen. That's always the people who get affected the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you could, and you could no always always have if nothing else, you could practice shooting on twenty two, right? And and you could get decent. Um, and even that is is way more expensive than it was when I started shooting adjusted for inflation, right? And so. That's what I worry yeah. about. It's like the kids who are coming up now or the, the people who are getting into shooting and hunting and they don't have a big, you know, checkbook, they're not going to be as proficient as they once were. And they're not going to have the the ability to really get into it as much. And so it's it's like a shallow, it's a shallow pond rather than like a deep well that it used to be, right? And yeah. Yeah, but the influence from social media etc is still there yeah um to push them to do i don't know some good things and a lot of not good so good things you know like the the, the attempts at long-range proficient proficiency without the work put in you know yeah yeah and and that's where like people are are influenced to pay these prices um i, I would imagine that happens to some degree well, you know, this guy shoots nozzlers, so I have to shoot nozzlers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No matter how much the cost is. Mm-hmm. What were some of the other calibers you wanted to look at, Omar? Um, well, the 308 and the 556 was because of the was because of the uh the whole NATO thing. Or the whole, you know, those are NATO rounds, so um Yeah, the uh five five six two two three has gone up twenty six and that's that's another good point is that you were saying you know get a 22 and practice with a 22 that's a lot of people that i know get yeah, a 223 because right. it's very the ammo is really cheap i mean you could still get a box of ammo for 15 bucks yep. something you know um and practice you can still practice with that and you can buy one uh, bolt action 223 and set it up just like your hunting rifle and yeah. train with it you know and it won't. So, yeah, it won't and recoils low. You can get kids shooting it. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's a great option. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yep. I just built a uh, six millimeter six millimeter arc. You guys have you heard of that one yet? I haven't. It's uh, no, I haven't. It's another Hornady. Hornady's. It seems like Hornady's the 
I, w- I don't want to say pinnacle, but they're the, they're advancing the gun industry the most. They're they're really um, getting a lot new a lot of new cartridges adopted by the uh, by Sammy, the standardized. Um, you know the uh, I can't remember what Sammy stands for right now, but um, six millimeter arc is like a. You heard of the six five Grendel? Yeah. Yes, it's a six five Grendel neck neck down to a six millimeter. So it's the same case. It's just with a smaller bullet. And it's the same thing, like it's um super light recoiling, but it shoots a little bit of heavier bullets. It's a good deer and pig antelope round. That's another good one to uh actually I don't know. Is that is that on the list, Jim? The price? It, it's not. This six millimeter Creedmoor is on the list, and that went up eighty-five percent. So compared comparatively, the six millimeter to the six five Creedmoor, the six five Creedmoor still went up more. I thought you said it was like 90 something. 65 Creedmoor went up 97%. And the six millimeter was 85%. See, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. That's weird. <laughs> that, that makes no is sense. Is 4570 yeah. on the list, Jim? It is not. I feel like that's been. How about shot? How about shotguns? It's not on this list, okay. no. But uh, basically, the, the title of the article is the che- cheapest rifle cartridges to shoot. Oh, okay. But some of the one that really do you guys do you guys shoot uh 7.62 by 39 millimeter? Yes. No, but isn't that a three isn't that a 308? But a, no, it's a Soviet round. Is it 7.62? No, it's like um yeah, it's a Soviet it's like a AK 47. But it's a thir- it's a 30, it's a 30 cal bullet though, right? Yeah, Soviet round. It's a 762 yeah. bullet. Yeah, Is it? so so it's it's slightly different, but yeah, effectively. I, I got to do the math now. Yeah, do it. Yeah, so 762 is a 30 caliber. That's the it is yeah. 30 caliber. Yeah. So okay. That that brings me to like the um the other thing we were we were going to talk about a little bit was the the gear situation, like what you need versus you know the kind of what what's pushed on you. And that mm-hmm. 762, I shot a ton of deer with 762 54R, the Soviet round. With an ancient, you know, 1940s, that's right, the God surplus rifle. That was, <laughs> I came from a family of anti hunters. So when I started hunting, it was just like in my blood, I just, in my blood, I just like couldn't, couldn't not, right? And, and it was like, okay, nobody's passing down a rifle to me. I went and bought a $70 surplus rifle. And from Big Five? Uh, from, we don't have those up here. I wish we did. Oh, it was, okay. it was from Fleet Farm. Uh, up here in Minnesota, uh, uh, and and what I could do back in the day was buy that surplus ammunition to practice with, and it was you know ten cents around, something like that, um, and then and then uh, you know get proficient, get good, and then go out and iron sighted rifle, you know, go have a, have a good time, and that I feel like there's no option for that today. You know, I mean, you you can still get a two two three and do that, but you're there's no like back in the day, you know, the 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 poor man's deer rifle was an SKS because you could get them for cheap on mills, you know, millser rifles. There's no option for that anymore, you know. Now you can't afford to shoot it because that ammunition, the seven point six two by thirty nine millimeter, has gone up three hundred and one percent. What? The and hell? that was before the Ukraine war because that one I bet has some uh, uh, increased price pressure because of that too because. The, they shoot it over. Oh, for line. sure. Yep. Yeah. 
So what do you think? What what when was that that you bought that rifle for seventy bucks? It would have been two thousand, what two thousand three, maybe two thousand two, something like that. So adjusted for inflation, what do you think seventy bucks is today? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe two hundred bucks max. But those, what do those Mosins go yeah. for now? Like a straight up Mosin I got, what do those go for now? Like 500, 600 bucks, something crazy like that? Uh, a real one or uh, a replica? They make real ones are, are they make real? They make replica Mosin Nagats now? Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not Milsers. Well, okay. What is, what yeah, does a Milser Mosin go for now? More, way more than 70, way more, probably more than 600 bucks. It's not. Oh. Now there's a market you're, for you're, them. You're telling me great things. I've got like, 10 of those in my gun safe, but, but like, I, I didn't know that, but like, you know, wow. but that was, that was a cheap thing to do. If you were, if like, I, I was working, you know, a crappy job back then and, and I wanted to get into hunting and I had access to do that with no support, you know, from anybody else, because those things were available to me and those just aren't anymore, both with the guns and with the ammo. And that's, I worry about that. Cause it's like how many people who want to get into hunting for the right reasons can't because they can't afford it and that affects yeah, people that was my uh my line of questioning was was intended to to reach to where you know if, if we're saying adjusted for inflation whatever we'll say 250 bucks yeah there isn't there isn't anything i mean maybe i don't think there's any factory pr- produced rifle that you can just go buy for 250 bucks I, I think the cheapest option you have today is like a a ruger american yeah and those are I think four hundred, and then you got to put a scope on it, right? And then you got to buy the fifty dollar, fifty dollar yeah. box ammo, right? Um, so you know, I don't know. You don't need all this crazy stuff that all these influencers say you need to go get a, get your first deer or anything. You know, it's 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 still it's going to be more because of inflation, and it's going to be there's a little bit of a, a barrier because of that that first initial buy in, but I mean. 600 bucks all in and you could be out shooting deer. Yeah. You know, for sure. Every bit of it. Yep. But yeah, you're right. Even the cheap ones because of inflation aren't so cheap anymore. But the the standard of living is higher that everyone's the minimum wage is higher, you know? So I don't know. I mean, 70 bucks isn't going to compare even with inflation though, to, to what it costs now though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's pretty cheap. That's the thing is like, is like it, I think that that you know, if, if if I wouldn't have a problem with it if if adjusted for inflation, like somebody could get into it for the same price, but I just don't think that's the case anymore, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just not, and and that worries me. That like again, as we're talking about like the big picture of how quietly is is you know hunting is becoming gentrified and and you know uh, walled off to people, a rich man's sport, exactly, yeah. like. It makes it easier if, you know, people can't get into it uh, uh, on their own because they can't afford it. Because then the demand is with the people who have the money to, to be able to pay for, um, you know, guided hunts and leases and whatever else. And um, I think one other thing that I'll, I'll just say briefly is that I, nowadays I can afford a lease or a guided hunt or a nice rifle no problem right like i make a good wage now and i'm I'm happy like with that kind of stuff and and whatever but i don't do that because when i was coming up and i started i like these values were instilled in me because i was i was grinding it out on public land with a shitty rifle you know and 
if you don't have that experience, if you don't have those values instilled in you because you came up through that system, if 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 the only way that you can start hunting is that your rich uncle, you know, money bucks takes you out to a leased uh, place or like, you know, a guided hunt. I think that some people are going to normalize that and and the demand and the expectation that you should be able to go out on public land and at least have a chance might not be there in the future. So it's kind of a, a double whammy, you know? And I, I feel that that way too with like buying rifles and I don't feel like I need to buy different rifles, but I do just because I like totally. guns and I like to shoot and, you know, it's just enjoyable. But there are times where when I just had my Winchester model 670 that I freaking loved and I still have it out. That's my first rifle. I'll never get rid of it. Yeah. But there was a time where it was just so simple. I knew how that gun shot. I knew what, I, you know, core locks were the only bullets I shot. It was just a simpler time. And uh, there's something to be said about that, man. No, no, I'm just laughing, laughing at me. <laughs> um, no, it's like, I don't... Okay, when I was coming up and I wanted to go hunt big game for the first time, I was, I think, 12 or 13. And it was my after school in the summer when I was 13. I just turned 13. Yep. I had to go work every single day so that I could buy cheap old Remington 760. And, and then I could put in for the Wyoming draw and got, got an antelope tag with zero points. And we all went and had a killer time and filled our tags. And I loved my little pump action rifle, but I don't know if it's that kind of stuff is even attainable today with, with the whole, with all of the, the topics that we bring up with hunt quietly as far as the access issues. And now we're talking about the price, the demand of, I mean, the uh, inflation and, and the barrier to entry on the crisis aspect. Um, it's just the times, times were changed like a kid trying to do that now would have a hard time well one he wouldn't even be able to draw the tag you know so yeah that's what i think we're trying to figure out how to rectify that and how to i mean that's the biggest thing for me as far as the hunt quietly thing and i don't even have children of my own it's just the future generations you know everyone's all think about me 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 um sponsorships and influence money and all that you know but Think about how you got in and try to pass that on to the next, you know? Yeah, when you bundle all those things up, it kind of does seem insurmountable for somebody that's just getting into hunting. Even if you are an adult. Yeah. Like, it's got to be overwhelming. Yeah. Financially. Yeah. And that, that like, Omar, you had to, you know, kind of grind to afford what you had to. But, and, and that's, in my mind, that's good. Like if, if there's an option for you, but it, it encourages you to have like a good work ethic, mm-hmm. great. But if if we get to a point where you grind and grind and grind and you can't afford yeah. that rifle yeah. and you can't afford that tag, it's like, what's the incentive? There's no incentive to, to yeah. do it. And it makes it impossible for people to start. It's a mess. Yeah. Like, is that even, is what I, is the opportunity that it was afforded to me, is that even available today? It's, it's my question. I don't think so. You got to search a little harder for it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you got to have, you got to have, uh, resilience. Um, uh, and I'm not talking about an influencer. I'm talking mm-hmm. about a mentor. Right. So someone who's not going to benefit financially from giving you advice. Yeah. Right. And I, 
I also feel like we at Hunt Quietly sometimes get get shit for uh, people will say like, oh, you don't want new hunters. You don't want people from like non-traditional hunting backgrounds uh, to hunt. And like nothing could be further from the truth. But like nobody ever talks about the fact that like if you if you have a mentor, if you have a if you have a dad who will teach you and, and loan you a gun, your barrier to entry is real low. Mm-hmm. Right. But for someone like me who didn't have that like uh and and came from from a different background i had to i had to buy everything and i had i had to go out and i had to like figure this out on public land right like and and do this right um if that's not available then you're just slamming the door shut on people that that don't have a that traditional hunting background and so really like again i see all the time like oh when people people are are commenting on our stuff they're like oh you don't want non-traditional cutters like what about what about people uh, who whose parents didn't hunt, whatever? It's like, well, the bigger, bear, like, we're not saying that, first of all. But second of all, you, you can't ignore the fact that there's a huge barrier here for people who want to start on their own, who don't have that mentor or that that grandpa to, to hand them a gun, you know? And, and that's, nobody ever wants to talk about that, you know? Nobody ever wants to say, yeah. like, that's a bigger barrier to people who aren't who don't have a traditional hunting background than anything we're saying, we're welcoming those people. We're saying, Hey man, if you're, if you're in a hunting for the right reasons, we'll be your mentor. And, and nobody's willing to say like, all right, the, the price is increasing and the, and the tag, you know, uh, uh, drawing issues and all that stuff, like that locks people out even more. Um, so yeah, just to put that in too, cause it's, I don't know. It just bugs me people say that, but it's that that's a huge barrier to people who are trying to start who don't have that traditional background to start, you know. I think their I think their their rebuttal to that, what you just posed, would be that that's what the influencers are doing is mentoring them. But I don't I don't that's not what I'm saying. That's this I think what their rebuttal would be, you know, since since they right. don't have a mentor but, but, that they're using the the social media as their mentor. And and I would I would agree with them if there were no other factors involved. But if those same social media influencers making are money, like yeah, and and making it materially impossible for these people to to get into hunting and have any sort of success to then keep going mm-hmm. with it, um, then that discounts all their their how to videos, right? Um, if it if it was just how to videos and that didn't have any effect on on prices or, or tag allocations. That's one thing, but we all know that's not the case. Right. So it's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just like, if, if it's like, say I keep going back to Nosler because I, that's, that's what's in my wheelhouse. I mean, I, I let me just, I love Nosler mm-hmm. ammunition. It's so heartbreaking that it's just getting to be out of my price range. And, but if you have an influencer that shoots Nosler ammunition, he doesn't no. care what the price is because he's getting it for free. He doesn't even know what the price so is. So if he's mentoring somebody, you know, or 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 hypothetically or posting yeah. a video about hypothetically it. Hypothetically mentoring because they're not really mentoring. <laughs> yeah, if if he's uh, that's why I revised it. If he's trying to sell ammunition to a new hunter, he doesn't care what the price is because mm-hmm. he's not paying exactly. for it. Yeah, I think but the I think the the new hunter or the adult onset hunter or whatever, they're they're not their their perspective isn't as wide as like 
us three or any of us, you know, their perspective isn't as wide. So they're not looking at it at, in the, in the same view as, as them pimping out the resource, you know, or, or trying to pimp, right. pimp out a product. They're not seeing that yet. I just hope that eventually they do see it, you know, because yeah. they're, I don't know. You get where I'm trying to go with that? hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Do you think that the, that ammo manufacturers are, are listening? Do you think we have a remote chance of moving the needle on that? Cause I kind of don't on the ammo aspect. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't either. I, I think it's, I think companies are going to do what they want to do. And I think on, on the, on the, uh, firearm aspect, there's a possibility because there's a lot of small shops that are hunters. Yeah. Um, but the bigger, the bigger guys like the Remingtons and, and so on and so forth that no, there's nothing, especially now with special interest groups and different people buying them. Yep. It's not, um, they're, they're not, their ears are, are, are shut. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a difference between guns and ammo, right? Like like firearms are a durable good. You can expect to have that for a certain amount of time. And so there's a used market for that. There's no used market for ammo, right? There's I mean right. there, people will sell you know, at a gun show, you might find, you know, a 50-year-old box of ammo or whatever, but like there's no there's no used market for ammo. So there's no downward pressure in that regard. Um there's not there's nothing to compare it to. Right. Well, um, before we wrap it up, I got to ask you guys one more question. One caliber, you had to pick one caliber for the rest of your life. Oh, man. What, what's it going to be? Omar's answer. No, I don't want to go first. <laughs> I'll go first. Mine is the 30 6 And reason being, you can go from, what, a 90-grain bullet all the way up to a 220-grain bullet. So you could shoot. You can get a 90-grain bullet and a 30 6 I think it might not be that low, but I, I think I remember hearing that. But yeah, you can you can go down pretty low and go up and to you can, and go up two twenty. Two twenty, okay. Yeah, yep. so you could take you could take anything in North America. Yeah, that would be my choice. Thirty out six. Who wants to go next? Uh, <laughs> I'm stuck between two. Okay, can I pick two or do I have to do one? The only one, <laughs> only one. You can talk about your 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 close second, but you can only pick one. Well, I think it would be it, it, maybe my close second is a twenty five out six or a twenty five three more because I like I like twenty five calibers. Um, but you know, it's a little short on the, on the bigger stuff, so I'd probably go with a seven millimeter. Mm, I'm gonna say seven PRC. Seven PRC. <laughs> yeah, I was almost two eighty actually, but seven PRC is a little bit got a little bit more balls. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna be boring, man. I'd say yeah. a three hundred. I I just like it's it's flat shooting. It's a it's a it's easily available. You know, if you can get it all over the place. And uh, I know it's not the right answer, but it's my answer. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> No, I don't think anybody could argue with the 300. I don't, I don't think anybody can argue with any of those, any of the calibers we named. Yeah. I mean, they all are ultimately one caliber or uh, one species. Will, will, what am I trying to say here? All They're species. all caliber that could take multiple species. 
What? Well, okay. Let me add one to it. What bullet would you choose? <laughs> well, if money were not an object, Nosler, <laughs> I would choose. Uh, I don't know if I'd go one eighty partitions or one sixty five acubons. Hmm. I'd go one eighty partitions. Okay. If, if if I could only pick one. Yeah. For everything. I mean, that's the only bullet you're going to have for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'd go 180 partitions. Okay. Evan? Oh, man. I'd do something bonded, probably. Um, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know, like, the bullet weight, because if I had to choose, if I had to choose something that could go after yeah, everything. Yeah, remember, you, yeah, so you, you might have want... to shoot rabbits with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Oh my God, rabbits! <laughs> oh well, I've already out with three hundred women. Uh, you better be aiming for uh, the head. <laughs> oh God, I got a story about that. I'll tell you guys another time. Um, but no, I don't know. I don't know what I would choose. Honestly, uh, it'd probably be something bonded um, with a polymer tip on it to to make myself feel good. Uh, but I don't know the weight. What about you, Omar? You're the, you're the one who I'm learning. Every time I talk to you, Omar, I learn something like that I would never even have thought of, or just like, you're just a wealth of information. What would you choose if you had one bullet? Oh man, that's like the toughest question. That's even harder than the, the rifle question or the cal- the cartridge collection uh, question. Um, oh man. Now remember guess, you chose a seven PRC. Uh, yeah. So you're going to be limited, right? Well, Oh, you're going to reload your own, so you're not going to be limited. <laughs> well, I mean, in this situation, you have to pick one, right? So, right. Um, I would probably pick if I think Federal came out with 175 grain, uh, 284 terminal ascent, and if I had to pick one for everything, that's probably what I would pick. Just because it's it's bonded. Like I'm on the same page with you. If it's if I'd like a bonded bullet, just in case. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have an answer. I, I take a 200 grain bullet just get, uh, for no other reason than that shoots well out of my 110 twist in my in my gun. Yeah, great. All yeah. right, you know, it's like I know that shoots well. It's nothing's going to be perfect for everything, but I'll, I'll take some accuracy out of it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sounds good. I could sit here and talk guns all night. <laughs> Just getting yeah, started. <laughs> Jim, do you want to talk about the the raffle? Add some things to that. Yeah, let's let's do that. So yeah, we're this is January. So this episode hopefully will come out in January. If not, it'll be early February at the latest. Um, so yeah, this winter we're doing a hunters for access um, raffle and fundraiser. There'll be lots of prizes. So far, we've raised some some good prizes, good donations, Sitka, Pristine Ventures, um, some knife manufacturers. I think in that um, in that episode, he was trying to get Jamie from Wolf Precision to to donate yeah. a gun, but yeah, I need I need to reach out to him and and see what's going on. Um, but, but on the on the Sitka thing, I I uh, was the I ordered everything. And so a little sneak preview of what will be available would be a, a full set of basically pants, shirt, um, 
or hoodie and outer shell, uh, like a, a puffy jacket for a man. And then I also got a woman's um, pants and hoodie set. All brand new, top of the line Sitka. Yeah, and I don't care. Say what you will um, about Sitka. They stepped up. They donated. So fucking A, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and they make some good shit. That's all I'm going to say. They make some good shit. We don't agree with their uh, message, but hey, they helped us. Yeah, they're, they're, but, their advertising strategy will continue to to push them in the right direction on, right? But and, uh, and every journey with a thousand miles began with one step. So this yep. is the, this is the right, and we appreciate their help. Yeah, for what sure. else? Do you guys remember what else was being uh, donated? Have you looked at the spreadsheet yet? Yeah, there's a tent, uh, I think, right? Oh, that's right. Was it like? Can a- you look that up real quick? I'm looking at it. I see boss boss shot shells. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, donated um, uh, a, a bunch of ammo or a gift card. Um, a uh, Primey Arms uh, four to twelve by forty scope. Also, um, uh, public land uh, grouse hunt. Um, a uh, let's see, there's a couple others in here. I don't see the tent. There, there's something in there. Oh, uh, oh, one thing, um, S, uh, it's SJW Woodworking, uh, who I just, uh, I bought a turkey call from, uh, recently, um, donated a, uh, custom deer, turkey, duck, and goose call, uh, to this. And I'll tell you that the, I got a, a glass, uh, uh, turkey call from them. Oh man, it sounds great. It it looks great. Like it's very like like pretty kind of call, but it sounds great too. So that's I I, I might be bidding on those. Uh, that was a great one. Um, yeah. Are we uh, are are the team members allowed to bid? <laughs> oh yeah, buy okay. as many as you. Yeah, we want to raise money, man. Okay. Uh, seek outside. Seek outside was the tent. Oh, what cool. is it called? Seek outside. Seek outside. Yes. You ever heard of them, Jim? Yeah. I haven't. Oh, okay. They're very yeah. Uh, Matt mentioned stuff. to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I, think I Matt, haven't. I think Matt uses a lot of their stuff. Yeah, they're good. They got a lot of good stuff for backpack hunts. Yeah, it's a, it's a. Sounds like it's a pretty sweet tent. Mm-hmm. It is. Is it a teepee or a tent? Um, it's a tent, is what it says. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the way this is going to work is is uh, we're going to have an auction and people can then or not an auction it's a raffle uh, and people can can buy um, raffle tickets for these specific items. So you you don't want you know one thing and you want another. All you got to do is is bid on the one item, and uh, you can buy as many raffle tickets as you want to that item. So it's going to be a great targeted way to do it. A hundred percent of the proceeds are going to go to Hunters for Access. Uh, which is is you know a great uh, nonprofit organization that that you know we've talked about a lot, but is is increasing public access to to private land, um, and uh, uh, this the, the thing that I love about working with the HFA folks and everything else is that it's a hundred percent volunteer. So all of this money just goes to making those people more effective. Buying, you know, uh, things for for landowners who participate or whatever else might need to, to happen. So it's it's super efficient. It's 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 a great way to do it. Um, 
and just I I, I work with the, the folks in Minnesota now uh, who are doing the Minnesota chapter of HFA, um, and they're they're just sort of spooling up, but there's some great stuff being done. And with zero resources now, you know, just just a zero dollar budget and a bunch of volunteers, uh, we're already starting some great stuff. So it's a it's a great. You can feel good about those raffle tickets you buy. They're going to go a long, a long way in accomplishing and, the goals that we're talking about. And Hunters for Access originated in Montana, and now yep. there's a chapter in Minnesota, chapter in Kansas, chapter in Virginia, and soon to be a chapter in Colorado, I believe. Yep. And the funds raised from this raffle are going to be distributed to 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 all the um, different uh, satellite chapters. So. We're going to spread the wealth here. And um, yeah, Hunters for Access. Check it out, huntersforaccess.org. And we sh- I-, I wanted to clarify this, and I'm glad you-, you started talking about this, Evan. So this fundraiser, it's. I want to just be clear. These landowners are not saying, I want to be paid to open up my land. No. Yeah, that's right. That's important. This... This is solely from the people who utilize their land that's already opened. That's right. This is these donations and this and the time spent. It's giving back, not out of a requirement, but out of the generosity from from the folks working for hunt, volunteering for hunters for access. So that's I just right. want to be real clear because I, I saw a couple comments where folks have said, Well, what's the difference between someone leasing and making money or someone charged it's it's different they're not we're not required to pay them no this is a thank you gift not enticing someone to to join into the process right and those the they're open to everybody versus the lease you know that that is only open to one person which is kind of the whole point right so it, but uh yeah and and they're you know this these funds will will really allow for hopefully keeping people in the system. That's, that's the the thing, right? Like with these funds, we can go out, we can pick up trash. Uh, We can help a, if, if some inconsiderate hunter on a black management or or in Minnesota, we have walk-in accent, uh, walk-in access. If somebody accidentally or, or whatever, uh, uh, you know, wrecks a fence, we can go out there and fix it and we can mitigate those issues so that those, those uh, areas stay open, which means less crowding. Right. I mean, overall, it's like the more acres available to everybody means less crowding, which means we're good to go. So so it's it's not it's not a bribe to to allow to to entice people to sign up. It is a thank you gift for people who have chosen to sign up for for whatever reasons they they choose. And and we're we really appreciate that. We want we and we want those people to know that hunters appreciate it. And that's it. You know, so it's it's great. But would you say that? I mean, with that said, um, if if landowners did see, hey, like their neighbor is involved and in, already involved in in a program, and they're getting help from hunters from for access, um, maybe they would be more apt to open up their land. You know, we're not yeah, trying that's... to entice them by giving them stuff, but we we kind of are trying to entice them by doing it for the people that are already involved. You know? I think the enticement yeah. comes from demonstrating that there are good people who care about hunting and care about access. Mm-hmm. And the enticement would be like, hey, I want to open up my land to these folks. They're good people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and it's lowering barriers, right? Like like if somebody if if somebody's saying like, man, I'd love to open up my my land to to uh, walk in access or block management, but I'm really worried about the trash or I'm worried about X, Y, and Z. We're saying, hey, you don't have to worry about that. We'll, yeah. we'll help you with that part of it. Yeah. Because the the real truth of the matter is we're never going to be able to compete with, with what, uh, in a dollar-for-dollar dollar sense, what leasing uh, organizations, what land trust, what all these folks can do. It's not that. It's it's just, it's maybe alleviating some of those those worries that they might have around you know, uh, uh, trash pickup or, or, you know, helping with the fence or whatever, like that, that kind of stuff. It's yeah. And try, that's where it and is trying to change the culture too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's connecting, it's connecting hunters to the people who allow them access, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's, a if nothing, I mean, it's, it's awkward to go walk on, knock on somebody's door to say, thank you. But if you have a, if you have a structure for it, which, which we're building, it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. And that I think it's that traditional way of just connecting hunters to landowners um in a in a way that's that that you know we want to exist again in a bigger scale. So it's it's great. It's great. All right. The website is huntersforaccess.org. And uh, I think we should wrap it up there, guys. Cool. Thanks, guys. Good to see you both. Yeah, yeah you too, both of you guys. Yeah, it was a good talk. Thanks. Yeah.